Welcome to Elan Restoration Fellowship, where Jesus is King, HaMelech, Lord, Hashem, and Messiah, Mashiach. And now, Pastor Billy Elias. So, Revelation chapter 6, we've talked about the white horse, we've talked about the letter vow, we've talked about six, you know, we've basically gone through the first two chapters, pulling out the things that we needed to look at, um, or the first couple, two verses, I'm sorry. So today we're in Revelation chapter six, verses three and four, and we're going to talk about the opening of the second seal and the release of the red horse. Okay. So one of the things that as we do this, um, what you're going to, one of the things, so it was interesting because my son called me the other day and he started asking me questions about Revelation out of the clear blue. And he was like, how do you study? And how do you do this? And what about this? And so he and I had a really good conversation. And he was like, because I need an answer. And then I remembered I should just call you. And so, and he's like, I, I don't want to hear from other people. I hear all these opinions, but I don't know what's true. Mm. So I started telling him and he's like, well, that makes sense. And, you know, but one of the things he said was, oh, how do I study it? And so he and I started having a conversation. And in particular, when we're studying this chapter, there are several things that you just need to focus on. And I don't know if it's ever, I don't, I've never heard um, a, a sermon or, or a study series on Revelation the way that I'm delivering it to you um, because I'm doing it as much through a Hebraic mindset as I possibly can. But just like anything else, there's a few things that always stick out to me in this chapter, right? The horse color, and um, the order in which they show up. Right? Why the white horse? Why was it first? We answered that. Then you have, and, and today we're going to be talking about the red horse in the spirit of wisdom. Why is it second? Right? And then as we go through this, there's certain things that stand out. For example, the first horse was given a bow, like a bow and arrow as an archer. The second horse here is going to be given a sword, and we're going to talk about that sword, and we're going to talk about how that Hebrew word transforms the meaning of what sword is. So we're going to go right into this, verses 3 and 4. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, go. <coughs> and another horse went out, a red one, and its rider was given the power to take peace away from the earth and make people slaughter each other. He was given a great sword. So this is, a lot of times, this is called the horsemen of war, right? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm. Movies always like to portray the four riders of the apocalypse and as demons, and that people have to stop the demons from coming because they're going to destroy the earth. So they've made it a demonic thing, Hollywood, when in reality, these are angels. You know, I, I mean, these are bad man pajama angels that, that God has said, oh, you're going to go on a horse and you are going to destroy. 
Now, we have to look at this because when it says another horse went out, a red one, we need to look at that. Because in Hebrew, the word for red here is Adam, as we know it as Adam. That's the word. Now, Adam, the root word is Dam, which means blood. When we, we've studied Adam before, and it basically means bloodline. Let's talk a little bit about Adam for just for, for one moment. Redness, blood. When I look at the colors of the horses, the only other thing that I could go to was the colors that each tribe has. Each tribe of Israel, 12, have their own color. They have their own stone. And they have their own insignia. Okay? It's it's what's painted on their shields when they go into own war. color, own stone. So each tribe has their own color. Each tribe has their own stone. And each tribe has their own insignia and flag, a banner. Now, red, Adam, right? The first Adam. We know what happened with the first Adam. As scripture says, he fell prey to sin and to the Stanim, the Satan, in the Garden of Eden. I had to go back and ask what tribe has red. The tribe that has the color red is the tribe of Judah. And the symbol of the tribe of Judah is the lion. Judah is the fourth son of Leah and Jacob. And it means to praise. I'm going to get a little deep here, so slow me down if I go too far. What is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet? Who remembers? It is the Hebrew letter Dalit. What does Dalit mean? Doorway, right. When you add the letter Dalit, which means what? Doorway. To the Hebrew word Yahweh, yod heh vau -Hey, you've just transformed that word to Judah. When you add the Dalit to the Hebrew word Jehovah or Yahweh, you've just made that word Judah. In other words, it is the lion of the tribe of Judah that is the doorway to Yahweh, to salvation. Why do we have salvation? Why was salvation so important? Because the first Adam failed in the garden. So the second Adam, the Messiah, overcame sin and death with his what? Blood. You see this? So when we look forward ahead, and it is through the blood of the lion of the tribe of Judah, that is the doorway. So now we have a red rider. The fourth son, Judah, was the fourth son. Judah was the doorway to the lion of the tribe of Judah. The symbol, again, is the lion. If you remember, 
And if you remember your story in Exodus, or I'm sorry, if you remember the story in Genesis, when Jacob sends the brothers to go get back Benjamin, yeah. it was Judah that said, I will go, and if I have to give my life to get my brother back, I will. And for that, he was given the blessing that the Messiah would come from his bloodline. When we talk about red horse, and this I didn't, I didn't go over this last time. When we talk about the red horse, you know, I Googled to find out. I don't know a lot about horses. Obviously, what one of the biggest problems in in how we interpret things in Christianity is they will depict this horse in like fire engine red, like he's a Ferrari. There's actually a red horse. Okay. It's not fire engine red. Like we think it is. It's called a sorrel. It's a chestnut. Now, remember when John's having this vision, he's explaining to you what he saw in the best way he could. So one thing that you guys have to understand is as far back as they know, that the sorrel or the chestnut, it's called, whether you're in England or Spain, whatever, it's a different thing, but it's it's got that red hue to it. They were bred. They were developed from North African stock combined with Spanish, Barb, Neapolitan, and Arabian blood. So this was a horse that was bred for the emperor. When you talk about the Roman Empire and a sorrel horse, the breed was known as the Meramano of Lazio. And they bred them in Italy, and they were favored in the Roman Empire, and they often served as the horse for the Roman emperor. Their distinctive characteristics include a muscular build, a broad chest, thick manes and tails, and robust legs. Understand what John is seeing. He is seeing a horse of nobility that was bred from multiple stock being used to come to the earth and carry that rider with him. One of the things is sometimes they become like a dark chestnut. And a dark chestnut many times looks like what? Dried blood. Right? So that's what this kind of, this horse was colored like. This rider is coming on a horse. And I hate to say that that's painted for war. He's painted for bloodshed. So one of the things that we find about this rider as the second living, um, the second likeness sends him, he gives him a power. And that is Natan le Javier et Hashalom, the power to take peace. The power to take peace. Now, this is an interesting moment. Because when when you read it in Hebrew, it reads, God has given the delivering power to take peace, the transporting power to take peace. In other words, God has given this writer the ability to deliver mankind from peace. Think about that. And because we're gonna we're gonna talk about how this all comes together. 
All we've been told up until this point is God wants to deliver us from sorrow and bondage. He's a God of deliverer. And yet he's given this angel the power to deliver mankind from shalom. Why? Think with me for a minute. He's giving man what they want. Man wants blood. Mankind wants war. Cain wanted to kill Abel out of jealousy. That's what man does. That's what sin's eventual, um, the, the eventual outcome is of sin. It's death. He says that I've come to deliver you from sin and death. And what does man do? They, 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 they pride themselves, right? When we talk about sexual sin and sexual temptation and being used in all the ways that we see it being used today, it's about dominance. Okay, it's about one human being dominating another using the prowess of sexuality. It's gaining power over someone or something. Now what we have is the ability to take power over their own bodies and over God by saying, I was born a man, but I should be a woman. You are taking power away from the creator and you are bestowing it on yourself to say, I am now God and I'm going to be who I want to be, not who I was born to be, who I want to be. See, so what happens here is God is now sending this horse to say, I'm going to deliver you from peace because this is what you want. You want bloodshed. You want to live life the way you want to live it. You want to kill your enemies. You want to covet your neighbor. You want to do all the things that you want to do, but you're being held in check by righteousness because I have not permitted it. But now I am telling you, I'm taking that barrier away. And this red horse that's coming, he's going to have the sword. He's going to give you exactly what you want to butcher and slaughter each other. So it's survival of the fittest. This is going to be the ultimate result of Darwinism. Because what is Darwinism based on? The strong will survive. Survival of the fittest. That's what it's based on. And that's what this is going to become. So there is some serious things going on right now. The power to deliver from peace. Think of that. And we've said it multiple times, and I think it's important that we say this again, that the greatest revivals ever were in the midst of immense persecution. Missionaries being put to death, believers in Hashem being put to death, believers in the Torah being put to death, right? Persecution at its zenith. When we look at what Hitler did in Germany in the late 30s and the 40s, what we realize is unwittingly began a massive revival here in the United States and through the Jewish people. God was showing himself to them in droves. So many of them would leave the Holocaust as believers in who Jesus really is. But at this moment, when the second rider comes to earth, it's going to make what Hitler did in Europe 
look like a police action. Wow. It's just going to make it look like an organized mob with what's going to happen. Because when we look at this, he says, and it's actually kind of frightening, I'm given the power to take peace away from the earth and make people slaughter each other. And that's the word. That's a great word. It's like mass destruction. But as I said, and I know it's sometimes hard to understand this, this is the last chance for mankind before the taking up. Because he knows when that last Gentile turns his face and says, I need you, God. I want you, God. I love you, Jesus. Take me. That's when the four angels go and they stop everything. And that's when we get the choosing of the 144,000. That's when the rapture, the catching up happens. This is the last chance for mankind. And you know what? He has to bring such stress on the world to make sure that everybody who's going to believe in him, everybody is going to have their chance to get their name highlighted in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it may seem cruel and it may seem harsh. And I know people get upset because, oh, you know, I'm Christian. I'm not going to be. Listen, there are going to be believers on the planet. And you want to know something? They're going to be the ones that are getting um, put to death. They're going to be the ones that are being martyred. But they're going to be the ones that lead the last great revival. Think about it. Before he actually comes back himself and the Jewish people turn to see him. That's going to be the last great revival on the planet. Because anybody that's left on the planet after that, that's it. It's game over. Exclamation point, the end. Now, in chapter 8, God says, now you're getting judged. Because I have my church. I have my assembly. They're safe. You're not. But you can't touch my 144,000. Because they're just kids. And I'm going to seal them. And you can't go near them. Because nobody could come near who I put my signet ring on. When I take that ring and I mark it. They got my mark. So that's the power to take peace. Hmm. And the other thing that is important. It says that he sends this angel with a great sword. Right? Kerev Kerev Gadolah. Gadol meaning great, Kerev meaning the stone, the, the sword. Okay? You know it as Mount Horeb. It's the same word. It's a root for the same word. The Mount Horeb where, where oh. Moses went oh, yeah. well, to get the Ten yes. Commandments. Okay. Remember, there are seven seals mm-hmm. in Revelation chapter 6. There are seven spirits of God. This spirit is the spirit of wisdom, right? So I want you to think about this for a minute. This is the spirit of wisdom, right? And he gives the angel Cherev Gadola a great sword. Horeb is a knife. That's how you say knife. It's one of the ways you say knife. (coughs) What did he get on Mount? What did Moses get on Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments, where he later got what? The Torah. What was the greatest weapon that we were ever given? The Ten Commandments and the Torah. What does the Torah tell us? 
all wisdom begins with the fear of Hashem. What is happening? The great sword is being brought down in the form of God's wisdom, which was written down, given to Moses, and that the people on the earth have since laid waste and said, you don't need it, and you don't need that, and the Jews are from the pit, and this and that and this and that. It's not necessary. What did they try to do? They tried to dull the spirit of God in the sword because they think, oh, if we change the written word, it's not potent anymore, and we can live life the way we want to live it. But when God sends this rider down with that great sword, he's saying, guess what? You can't escape my word. You can't escape what I wrote. I wrote it and breathed it into foundation, which is where you came from. When I spoke the words at the beginning, and then I gave Moses the exact word, and you choose whether to listen to it or not. But now my wisdom is coming to judge, and I'm doing it with the word. So when that, now do you see, when that angel is given the power to deliver mankind from peace, he's doing it with the word of God. Because the word of God is not going to say, you're not righteous, go do what you want. Which is why we also had the warning in Deuteronomy where it says, Beware those who dream dreams and see things and will lead the people of Israel astray because they were sent to test you. And then he later says, And I will allow you to believe them because that's what you want in your heart. You cannot understand John's vision and what we call revelation if you refuse to study Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You can't do it. You can't do it. And you know why? Because you've, you've, you've cut yourself off on the foundation, yeah. which is why we have all these cockamamie theologies, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all millennial. I don't even know what any of that means anymore. Which is why you get people that get so upset when you tell them the rapture doesn't happen in chapter 4. Well, that's what everybody says. Well, if that's what you want to live your life on, what everybody says, good on you, mate. Let me know how that turns out. We'll listen to the words of a man before we listen to the word of God that he's supposed to be preaching. You know, when we talk about being delivered from peace and we talk about this great sword, I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 36. Don't suppose that I have come to bring peace to the land. It is not peace I have come to bring, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, so that a man's enemy will be the members of his own household. We've interpreted that to mean all different things. But here, my people, is what he was talking about. At this moment, man will slaughter man. Family will slaughter family. Tribe will raise up against tribe. Nation will rise up against nation. Kings will rise up against kings. If you hate them, go kill them. Think about what's happened to the family structure in the 20th and the 21st century. You've already seen it. 
kids killing their parents because they don't allow to do this. People hiring hitmen to do this, husbands and wives. Parents doing ungodly, unspeakable things to their children. It's happening. But at this time, we, we still have laws against it. And so I'm going to end with this. When we talk about wisdom, what we're finding here is there's two types of wisdoms that's being put to the test. The first is for the believer, and the second is for the unbeliever. We're finding that God's wisdom as judgment for those who believe and those who choose to set themselves adrift from his love and compassion is coming to, coming to fruition at this moment with this second rider who's judging them with the sword and the spirit of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of Hashem is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of holy ones is understanding. The fear of Hashem is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of holy ones is understanding. That is for the believer. When that spirit comes, when, when that rider comes with that sword, it's going to be like, this is it. Okay, here are my believers, and here are my unbelievers. Why? How do you ask? Okay, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. This is for the unbeliever. Get ready for this. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but years of the wicked shall be shortened. In other words, at this moment, the fear of the Lord prolongs the days because he's taking his believers to heaven with him for all eternity. Pastor Billy will continue his message in just a moment. If you would like more information about sermon series, books, and other study materials, you can call us at 732-314-1956, or you can email us at elanrestoration at gmail.com. You can visit us on Facebook for Shabbat and service times. And now we conclude today's message with Pastor Billy. But the years of the wicked will be shortened. In other words, what I'm about to do, I'm going to settle the business with the whole lot of you. So, Father, we give you glory and we give you praise. We thank you for this word and that we would just open our hearts to be able to share it with others. And for this, we give you all glory and we give you all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Billy Elias. Pastor Billy is the founder and pastor of Elon Restoration Fellowship in Toms River, New Jersey. Join us again as Pastor Billy bridges the gap between the old and new covenants. And as always, may the Lord bless you with peace. Yeah,